Welcome to Pounding the Table podcast, where we talk news in the stock and crypto world and how it affects the market. This is purely for entertainment and in no way investment advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 6 of Pounding the Table. Some crazy moves in the market today and some crazy moves in the NFL. Pat Mahomes no longer can throw to Tyreek Hill. He was traded to Miami Dolphins. And my Vikings just got Zadarius Smith. But we are here to talk stocks. We got Riley McAdams and Luke Denae alongside my usual co-host, Mr. Macro himself, Anthony Ohion. The Dow has been plunging over 400 points today. The S&P dropped 1.2% with the NASDAQ falling 1.3%. We're seeing increased sanctions at Russia, NATO sending more troops. GameStop's got NFT marketplace. Governor DeSantis is going to allow crypto for taxes. Russia's stock market is going to partially reopen on Thursday here. Before we get started, though, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors over at StockTwits. Join millions of investors to talk about stocks, crypto, and a whole lot more. It's where we go to get a pulse of the market when we first wake up. First thing we do is have a coffee. And then, of course, we check stock twits, see what is going on and trending amongst other things. So go and download stock twits in the App Store. Talk to traders and investors. See what they're saying in real time about your favorite stocks and crypto. Tony, let's run through the stock twits trending tickers of the week, starting off with QQQ. What was going on there? Yeah, I mean, say that five times fast. Stock twits, uh, trending tickers of the week. But yeah, no, I, I like going there a lot just to see what's moving and what people are talking about. Because usually that's what's got news. That's what's really moving. So QQQ is definitely the one that's been getting hit the most since the beginning of the year, right? Like I think that it had its second to worst, if not worst, drop to the start of the year of all time this year, 2022, which is, you know, not, that was not in my bingo cards, honestly. But, you know, that happened. And you can see that QQQ was over 20% down. So that brought it into, air quotes, you know, bear market territory. But from that low, we bounced really hard. Like, you know, there was a chart on Twitter where people were discussing where they thought it might go to. The biggest volume shelf, you know, that was as a support, which is just how many trades and at what price it went through in a certain, you know, bracket of that stock's price. So like, let's say it's a range of like 100 to 110 or whatever. So, you know, it was around that 315 to 321 level. And that was like the first strong volume shelf on the way down that could be a support that was like a very prominent volume shelf. And we broke out after the election right there. So that was where I was thinking like could be a nice bounce spot. And we did bounce right off of there. And what's pretty crazy is I started noticing too, that you could start using such further back starts to your charts, like your indicators, like your VWAPs, you can go all the way back to IPO. And it's like very interesting to see because sometimes, you know, when the market gets really bad, like it's been, you have to go very far back to see where all that actual average volume ends up being from and, and, and where people can start trying to think about a possible support. Obviously, QQQ, I think it's going to be talked about this entire year. Like everything going on with the Fed and all over the world is going to impact tech stocks more than mostly everything else. So ETH is definitely trending up too. I'm hyped about that. You know, maybe that's just because eight is also trending up, which we talked about last podcast with Yuga Labs acquiring uh, CryptoPunks and the MeBits, which was just like such a massive thing. They took over Larva Labs essentially. And just now they are this huge conglomerate in crypto that's getting funding, like we talked about last week as well, from all these different VCs. So uh, Ape is their token that came out. And that was a lot of uh, hype 
talked about for Ape over the last week on FinTwit and Crypto Twitter. So definitely a reason why those have been running. And ETH also broke over 3K. So excited for all those happenings in the crypto sphere. We had Adobe trending as well. That beat on earnings. Nike as well beat on earnings. Tesla was getting some bullish momentum as well, getting a lot of flows. They had a lot of news coming out. And I think honestly, Elon's master plan part trois that's coming out is going to be very exciting. Can't wait to like see that. I'm pretty sure that'll have a really nice impact on the stock just because who's not excited to hear about what Elon's going to do for the next 10 years of what, what do you whatever mean master plan is, is, well, like, is a, he's got a yeah. like, popping up. No, it's just like Elon's like white paper. Like if Elon were to tell you what he's about to do for the next 10 years, that's it. And so I remember when he did his master plan part two, it was like 10 years ago, almost to the, like, you know, pretty close to now. And I wrote a bunch of blogs on it. I was just like, I, I need to go get those just so because I'm pretty sure his master plan part three. Yeah. And Mar- master plan part two was all the stuff that Elon did in the last 10 years. And so like man, man is crushing his objectives, right? Like he's very much Kobe in the finals. Job's not finished yeah. vibes. He is not finished. He's literally like, here's my next plan for the next 10 years. So when does I, he drop I don't, that? I don't know, but it's going to be hotter than Kanye's new album. You know, what's crazy about Twitter is like, you can have people DM you just something that looks so stupid and just like fake and, and maybe scammy, but this guy DM'd me something about GameStop like a long time ago. And it was pretty much like a 30 paragraph plus with like embedded hyperlinks and everything. Just a bunch of like DD on pretty much everything GameStop's about to go do. Like NFTs, coin games, like all these things that they have down the line. And like even discussing how the squeeze was created in part to allow for cash in order for this to ha- like It was just nuts. And it was like one of the most 11D things I've ever seen. And for my non-physics people, the 11D dimension does not, we're not sure it exists. So like, it's definitely 11D. So that guy- Twitter handle or like Ryan Cohen? Or I honestly don't know, but it was really insane. <laughs> it might be. So you said a few weeks back on the episode, you said, I think it was back in February, that we're, we're pretty much, for lack of better uh, terminology, F-U-C-K-E-D. So we were in trouble yeah. and we kind of had this slow burn more. So. You know, last February when like the growth top blew off and like, I remember us potting at the end, like there's going to be a crash that puts hair on your chest and, and all those things. I remember that like word for, I'll never forget that sentence, but like it was very prudent at the timing. But one thing about it was the type of drop it was and then the type of flush it led into. So it was kind of crazy. I think we mentioned this a few times, like the analogy between arc like growth in general's chart and NASDAQ in 2001. But like, there's always a, you know, there, history rhymes does not repeat though. And there's definitely a big difference to how companies were in 2001 versus now. Like if you look at the actual companies underneath and the valuations and the multi- compared to 2001, it, it's leagues better, like mm. it, much, much better. And it's not even like a comparison in terms of like how legit the companies were that pumped so much, but the stocks were trending in the same way. So when you look at that and you say like, well, based on that exact chart, right? You had the NASDAQ drop 70% from peak to trough and you know, our ARC did the same. And then you see this 44% run that comes in the two months after followed by another 44% drop. And so that was the chart that I kept on looking at and just like wondering, like it helped me figure out where the bottom was more recently. As much as whatever's going on, in the world's conditions and in the macros and all this, whatever, you can see where like price is deciding, okay, that's enough. And so those are the things that like you can't ignore, right? You can have your thesis, you could play Michael Burry on it, but the truth is it's like price will rule everything around you at the end of the day. You see these companies that are now looking like they're making these like 
super strong, super conviction bottoms. And so you, the only reason why is like, and, and I said this since November, like you can go to pod 48, I think it is. And it's like bear market coming. <laughs> like fed dropped the bomb. Said all <laughs> hour tw- Yeah. Literally. I think it's like minute 25 or whatever. I don't know. But the point is I was like, fed <laughs> fucked us. There's nothing that's going to get better until the fed unfucks us. And so the only reason that like, I'm like feeling not necessarily bullish, but not bearish, right. Is because fed was the thing that ruined us. Fed did something. That's all. That's it. That's it. Like it, it doesn't matter whether you said it should have been more, should have been less, whatever. They did yeah. something. That is a change. Period. So what? Right. Yeah. What? So uh, when do we shift to midterms? Right. Like midterms are coming up here, and obviously well, the news yeah. is all Russia right now, and, and focus on that. You know, it was COVID before, and then it's going to mm-hmm. turn into midterms. And so I'd imagine with the Democrats in power, they're going to want the you know turn whatever spigots they have to, to look good the, the final few months heading into the elections. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I have no idea how that's going to honestly play, Avi, because, I mean, how long is this Russia-Ukraine thing going to happen for? Even though it's like, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's getting worse on the pulse of the media, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily actually getting better. So, like, you can think of that two ways. Could it get worse? Sure. But like Fed is doing something. Granted, they should have done stuff a while ago. They're doing something now, which was, you know, better late than never, but never late is better. Drake, that's fine. But (laughs) I think, yeah, I think that the midterms will be just like probably another subterfuge of like camouflage for what something like a Fed needs to raise or something needs to happen. Like it'll be used as a card, I'm sure. Like people will play into it. But I think Powell is going to actually continue to do these narratives i think the biggest fear too is that everyone's like really worried still about this quantitative tightening and that's exactly what he said november 24th and he tried to walk it back and now they're like we don't know and it's just like I, I would like a more certain timeline by the fed but i think that all that matters is inflation went like eight percent like i think the fact that they started raising is just a big change in narrative for people saying well the fed's doing nothing well okay now the fed has done at least one thing and so it changes the game, even though it's not like much like it's a token, right? Like it's just the symbol of what's to come and the market prices thing in the future. So like in, in people's heads, like they've tapered, right? We're living in uh, squid games. You know, <laughs> I just feel like that sometimes with the markets. Powell is just playing around, like looking down at us. He's like, what should I do here today? Uh, Tony, you were venturing into future. You were trading pigs, haystacks, needles, whatever it was. <laughs> before that what's going on is this the new the new tony not no longer nft no longer stock guy tony's a future guy <laughs> i mean what, what's, what's nice <laughs> yeah honestly I, I i gotta give a shout out to young gunner here for for pushing me on the future. he's been telling me Raleigh, you've been telling me to do futures for like a year now and the only reason i never did was just because i knew that the second i started my sleep would just be gone forever it is but Futures are awesome because it's already what I do during the day. Like it's stocks and it's like predicting like commodities and like all the same things that you do for trading stocks. It's just like, I, I like the setup. I like the structure of futures. It's something that you can do after hours. It's t- horrendous for my sleep because even as I'm potting right now, I'm like trading futures, but <laughs> such is life. Come back to us. Yeah. Futures are pretty much stocks, Avi. Like they're really like, it's, it's the same thing. It's in the same they're better. They're just better. Instead of trading, instead of trading some some growth name that doesn't have any revenue, you could be trading like hogs and cattle. I find that fun. I don't know. I think that 
there's more optionality to it, I guess you could say. And I think what are that the big guys open? are the same hours or is it 24 seven? They're extended hours for the most part. You'd be trading them. Like we could be trading gold right now, like me and Tony and it's pretty liquid right now. You could pretty much yeah. get in and out, whatever you want, however much you want. But for the most part, it's, it's the bigger guys. It's the guys who've been trading for the last 20, 30 years that are kind of ruling these markets and, I mean, you, you can't be stupid playing in these markets. I'll just tell you who's that. Gonna, but, who's going to tokenize uh, commodities here? Uh, it might be playing well, the I table. Think, Who knows? I, I, think, I think FTX is actually that, working man? on that. FTX is doing a great job of like tokenizing stocks in other countries. It's not in the U.S. yet, but it's it will be. I mean, obviously, eventually it'll be here. So that'll be interesting because you'll be able to do everything that you do with like stocks through proxy synthetics and crypto. So I, I wonder like, you know how like when S art came out, it really started tanking arc because of the like correlative short. So what if the perps that are synthetically long cause like massive squeezes to everything that's underneath? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play. Basically you can have it like you buy one token of Tesla versus one share and it's just like a synthetic. Oh yeah. Yeah position it's like the same thing but it's just a synthetic position and like with that you can do a lot more things you can't do with securities like like in crypto you can do 5x leverage or 25x spot leverage or 50 or 100 and that's what a lot of crypto does so a lot of different brokerages like kucoin and gate.io these dgen websites you can do like heavy leverage so i, I wonder if that's going to really change let's turn it over to our resident oil tycoon luke Denay is in the building with our little man, Riley McAdams, the young gunna, to touch on oil for the first time since 2001, actually had a negative correlation to the market. So Luke, I know you touched on this a little bit on, on your daily recaps, running with the money podcast, which everyone should listen to, by the way. But what was going on there? <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know about oil tycoon, but it's definitely one of the things I'm keeping my eye on. Being um, humble. <laughs> you know, so you look at what oil is doing compared to the broader market and really speaking broadly, more what energy is doing compared to the broader market. And what you're seeing is the energy index is actually for the first time since 01 negatively correlated to the broader market. So really all that means is that the energy index is climbing. Meanwhile, your S&P 500 and your technology index also is moving to the downside. So just going through some metrics here, you have XLE, which is the energy is one of the energy indexes. You take a look at that and it's up pretty much 39% year to date. Really, if you want the exact number, 38.5% at the close today. But you take a look at the S&P 500 and it is down roughly 6% year to date. The exact number on that is 6.56%. And we haven't really seen this since 01. And really, you're probably asking, well, why in the world do I care if the energy index and energy names are moving up? Meanwhile, the broader market is moving to the downside. You know, why is that a factor I might want to keep my eye on? And really what it comes down to is that this pattern has preceded recessions typically when looking back at historical data on the markets. And that's really what it comes down to. So the next question is, okay, if this is the case, if this is the pattern we're getting, energy is moving to the upside, the broader market's moving to the downside, what is really going to normalize all of this? And what the really thought is amongst analysts is that, okay, what we're going to see is a recessionary type situation, it's a recessionary type event in which the broader markets see even more downside, but also simultaneously 
energy finally starts to come down and they eventually get back to the point where you don't have this negative correlation. We flip back to positive correlation and then the markets recover. Um, so that's really all this is about is just another one of those data points in which the re- recession callers, the fear mongers out there right now are using to push really their case that a recession is oncoming. And also, I just want to know, speaking about this recession talk, and I think we need to talk about it because if you get on Twitter or any social media platform right now, all you're hearing about is either oil and energy moving to the upside, or of course, your famous 10-year, the two-year curve when it comes to yields. And everyone's saying, well, if this inverts, which it's close to inverting, it's currently sitting at 0.219%. They're like, if this thing inverts, you know, we're going to have a recession, yada, yada, yada. And yes, the data shows basically you have after inversion, a recession, but you need to pay attention to the data here because the average time it takes for a recession after inversion or what we've seen is 21 months. So there's been a 21 month lag every single time on average that we've had an inversion to recession. So you have 21 months in between the inversion and recession in which the market, by the way, on average is up 7.7%. That's the average S&P 500 return between inversion and recession. So I think that's a very important note. People seem to think that if this 10 to two-year curve goes negative, that's the end of the world, that day, that month, whatever. I disagree. I think the fear is way overshot. And that's really the most opinion I'm going to stay on the show is I just think there's way too much fear, especially when it comes to not only this inversion between or negative correlation between energy and the broader market, but also this inversion on the 10-year, the two-year curve. But that's what the data shows. And the data is telling me that the fear is a bit overdone. But I know actually Riley has done a crap ton of research when it comes to oil and biofuels. So I'm going to hand it over to him to see what he has to say. Oil's staying above 100 at this point, bounced uh, off the psychological $100 level. And you know it's staying above. And for me, I'm a contrarian at heart. So I'm not really into buying the oil companies now. But on the other hand, I'm buying the biofuel companies, the renewables, the solar companies, stuff like that, that is going to be in the high demand after people realize that I don't want to buy any more oil. There's no point in buying it at $120, whatever it is. Gas prices are going to go to the roof. You know, There's no point in doing that. But on the other hand, you have companies like Delta who are signing deals already with biofuel companies like Jivo just to make sure that they have the biofuels at a cheaper price in the future. And another one of the companies that I'm looking at is Darling Ingredients, which to me is probably a diamond in the rough here because no one talks about it, yet it is the biggest producer of biodiesel. And if you don't know, diesel is essentially what runs our entire economy because everything that we need runs on diesel. And yet, as the gas prices, the oil prices continue to rise, diesel prices are going to continue to rise as well. And it's going to be the highest price, essentially, gas that you could buy. So knowing this, you have Darling Ingredients, who's going to make 750 million gallons in 2022 and about 1.2, 1.3 billion gallons of biodiesel in 2023. And it's looking like it's going to double every year after that for the foreseeable future. So Darling Green is definitely the name to watch, but overall, just biofuels in general and solar names, Sunrun, uh, uh, First Solar, whatever, you name it. I would not be, you know, I would not be surprised to see a big run towards the end of the year in renewables. 
I am absolutely positioned for it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not buying Oxy or uh, any of these, uh, you know, oil companies that everyone seems to be FOMOing into ExxonMobil, whatever it is. I'm not buying it. Quick question on that. So the ticker symbol is DAR. Uh, I forget the name of the company was here, but for the biodiesel, we've talked to some uh, electric trucking companies. And is that a fear that these vehicles that would need this biodiesel will start to go away in the next 10 years? Uh, I think it could fade towards the end of the decade. But uh, for the most part, I mean, I think these these the equipment that all these companies have bought are millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they're not just going to throw them away. They're going to use them until they possibly break down, whatever it might be. And you're just going to continue to use them. And so being able to have all these biodiesels are very important. And the other one is Jivo. They make zero emissions biofuel. So essentially, it's as good as being electric. And they cater to the airlines. And so they inked a deal with Delta this past week. They already had one for about 10 million gallons per year. And they upped it to 75 million, which is a big deal. But at the same time, like these these airlines, they're not going to get rid of the hundred million dollar planes that they just bought over the last you know two three years. Those are going to be around for the next decade, and then they're going to continue to buy them from Boeing for the next you know fifteen twenty years because the commercial airlines they they're not going to be able to be electric for a long time. The the our technology is just not going to be at that level to go you know across the ocean you know two thousand three thousand miles. On, uh, on electric, but they're able to with the biofuel and the biofuel that Jivo makes is zero emissions, which is incredible. So, I mean, it's, it's basically the best possible alternative to regular fuel. And so they don't need to change the engines, nothing like that. They could just continue to build the planes that they already are building now and just put Jivo fuel into these engines and it will be fine. Zero emissions. That's the beauty of it. Darling ingredients, their biodiesel has about 85% better, uh, emissions than regular diesel. And that should be able to increase as they continue to build on their IP. And so these two companies, they're basically going to continue with this trajectory of, you know, the renewables being the future of energy. And I I believe that probably in the next decade or two, that we should be almost completely on the renewable side, depending on what technology comes about. And I think we might get into this later is, you know, uranium and all these nuclear energy stocks or ETFs for that matter, you know, they're going to be getting bid up because nuclear energy is coming. And that's going to be what definitely bridges us between, you know, the regular fossil fuels and high emissions to zero emissions, clean energy, and just the future in general. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's why I'm keeping an eye on oil. I hope oil continues to rise because my renewable companies are going to continue to get bid up. You've been on fire. You, you did make a lot of big calls on China, which we'll talk to in just a second. Tony, I know you're a huge stock guy, crypto guy, NFT guy, and now futures guy. You are literally like the renaissance man of, of apps. Like, How do you keep track of all of these balances? Before, uh, I just would pretty much just keep it in my head. I'd be like, oh, I know I bought this at some point, or I'd like book, I honestly bookmark tabs. And just like everything I've bought from like all these different resources or DeFi sites or whatever platforms. But what's really cool is I saw this company chatting on a space and I was like, wow, this is pretty sick. I might need to use this and ended up talking with them and it ended up being very, very cool. And now I use it every day because for people, I think who listen to this show, I'm pretty sure that you're probably invested in multiple asset classes. And 
I know you probably maybe know about mint.com, which is like from Intuit. And I've been using that, but it just like does not let me sync to the accounts that are in the depths of the internet or my trading cards, like Pokemon cards and stuff or real estate and everything. So it's like a lot harder to do. But our uh, good friends at Asset Dash have that problem solved now, which is really cool. Like it, it, it supports cryptos. It's got NFTs, DeFi stocks. And shots. Those are yeah, those are sick, like yeah. literally like if you're doing any type of investing, you're probably doing multiple types of it. It's just a cool place to put it all in one in one screen and like one platform that can just like track how you're doing. Because I like to think of myself as an asset rotator. So like I'll go into different asset classes at you know the what I believe to be opportune times. So it's pretty helpful. That way you know like are you actually up or are you just moving your money between a bunch of classes and just like hoping that you'll hit it in one as the rotation hits. So helps a lot. And they were also voted number one on Product Hunt. So it's got some uh, some hype already, but yeah, just like something cool that I actually found useful to use and they connect yeah. with like literally everything: Robinhood, Coinbase, it's like MetaMask, yeah, hundred hundred plus different things. And like that, that so like that's the thing. There's no way I can connect MetaMask, or there's no way I can connect Flow, or like freaking Solana Phantom Wallet in my Mint.com. Just zero chance. So uh, yeah, I'm pounding the table yeah. on Asset Dash. Riley McAdams back in the building. We're here to talk a little bit of China. I know you love your orange chicken, but what's going on with all the major moves up? You, I think there's two episodes ago, you made a pretty crazy call on some of these China moves. So we brought you back to talk a little bit. What's going on now? Yeah. So China, uh, everyone wants them now. Not here to gloat, but yeah, I mean, the last two podcasts I have, uh, I've talked about them. I've said that, you know, we're, we're nearing the capitulation move. I said probably another five, 10% lower on, uh, I believe last Sunday. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got Monday down another five, 10% Tuesday down another five, 10%. And then Wednesday we got major news as I kind of expected. I, I believe I said that the Chinese state is going to end up doing something which they did. They did it in a big way. So China, essentially, they pledged to keep the capital market stable. They vowed to support overseas stock listings. And they said the dialogue with the US ADRs is very good. Uh, and then they promised to handle risks for property developers and clarified regulation of big tech will end soon. I mean, that's you can't beat that. You just can't. I mean, that that signals the bottom to me for, for all these Chinese names. I mean, that was the fear. Everyone said, oh, they're going to de- be delisted. Jack Ma is going to be dead all this stuff. No, it's just not going to happen. And, and the Chinese state already just came out and said that it's not going to happen. I mean, it, it, I don't know what else you need to be able to have the assurances that is going to be safe to buy these Chinese names. Clearly, everyone on Wednesday believed it, too, as they all everyone pretty much bought FOMO into it after. Dude, that, and that was institutional bought. buying, Riley. That was like heavy handover fist yeah. buying. Oh, yeah. Like it, yeah. that was not like mom and pops, like Baba and Baidu and like all the in order to move those companies the way those were moved, not only was like, that was a lot of, de- like everybody was in puts, right? So like the natural market itself was so off sides that dealers, MMs, like they just slammed, slammed. They had to buy, buy, buy and like, and fix their shit. Cause they were so, so, so head to the, like they were short so hard on those names, like out of the entire market the most. And what's crazy now, Riley, is this has happened for like three or four years. Like the fear of delisting Chinese names. Yep are the only reason why they haven't been able to grow in multiple valuation. And so like, honestly, if all goes well, and like, you've already seen some go well, right? Like you talked about PDD, Baidu, Bob, like 
these names are already like, okay, I'm down. Like, let's figure out something so we don't all fuck ourselves. And that's exactly, exactly what that's going to happen. And I think like you saw that with like the Chinese market, like Hong Kong HSI is up 10% the other day, right? At, like literally three days after your slot on the podcast. So I think that it, it opens the door for us to like look at these objectively now and say, well, honestly, like Pinduo Duo, I've always liked that name, but Loved it was it. a China name and yep. it was just a bad name because of that. And that was literally like as an investor, because of that risk, you could not be like, that's a really good company. Let me actually properly assess its valuation and like think about the company long term. You just couldn't because the next day it could be zero. And so now mm-hmm. those companies who are first to do it, if you if you think about that, like whichever companies get it first, I'm buying whatever company comes out that day and says like we're we're like we're good with the US. Like if, if it's P that's why PDD's been ripping. If PDD comes out and says, Cool, we've complied, they're cool, we're cool, no chance of unlisting us thing is going to get a very different valuation question yeah. what happens yeah. uh what happens if, if china goes and invades taiwan which seems to I be think, i think i think it would have already happened by now that that's my opinion i think it would have already happened the perfect time would have been as soon as russia invaded ukraine to do the same thing because then then what would you do the, everyone's trying to look at both ways it's the it's the perfect thing and the u.s was smart by sending the destroyer through the channel there to basically signal that absolutely no way you cannot be doing this. And China took that and they, they accepted it. And that's why days later, weeks later, they're like, all right, we're, we're good now. We're trying to calm the equities market because they didn't, China did not want, they saw exactly what happened with what Russia was doing. All the Russian stocks, Yandex falling 80% in a week. They, they, I mean, basically Bob looking like it was going to be uh, Yandex and they realized we can't have this. This is going to destroy our economy. So we can't, invade Taiwan. I said this on the last pod. There's no way that they're going to invade Taiwan. It would be an idiotic move. And I think the Chinese state is smarter than what Putin is. That And that's that was the big thing. And so I think at this point, there's no fears for me, at least on the Taiwan aspect. And there's nothing on the delisting fears. Just a couple of days after that Wednesday announcement, I think Baba, JD and PDD also came out and they said, we want to work as closely as we possibly can with US auditors. They want to make sure that they stay listed. That is huge. That to me signals that in the long term, these names should get back to the multiples that they deserve. And I think I, I said it on the last pod too. I said that this could be a generational buy opportunity. And that was when Baba was, you know, at $70, $80 a share. Neil was $14 a share. JD, whatever it was, probably 60, 50. KWeb was what, 25, 30 almost? That's back at 45. Just the low to high moves. Bob was up 70%. Neil up 75%. JD up 70%, PDD up 120%. This was last week lows. Last week, KWeb and ETF 60% off the low. Yeah, that's nuts, I mean, man, right? That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. I saw those moves and I thought the same thing when I saw the KWeb. I was just like, whoa, an entire yeah. ETF moved that much. And then, like, I go under and I look at the underlying names and I'm like, holy shit, Baba's move. Holy shit, Baidu's move. And it's just like, th- those are like, you know, th- th- those happen once every 10 or 20 years of like yeah. that kind yeah. of like across the board. I'm not talking like individual company, but mm-hmm. that's you a really it's going to continue to run, though. These I mean, it, it, I, I think base. so. Like, I, I think it depends. It depends on if they actually follow through and how quickly they follow through, because the hype will die and they'll settle back because like until it's done, it's not done. But it's not going to keep selling off into infinity down below because I literally saw the news from Pinduoduo Duo like today or yesterday of them being like, we're already starting. So I was just like, okay, well, if they're already starting, I don't know how long it takes. Let's call it three months. Like they'll wait it on the quarter and then 
Like they're not going to sell them now. They just bought them. So they're going to hold them. Yeah. I mean, think about what the earning reports going forward are going to be. Now everyone's going to see the fundamentals and be like, wow, there's really no fear on the delisting. The multiple should be much higher. And so I think on the next earnings, probably the next three or four, we're going to see some big buying on those earnings. And I think buying ahead of them, whatever, whatever it might be. But I think the, for the most part, pullbacks are going to be way too crowded on these names that there really won't be that large of dips. I think you, you can still lie. see that like in the general yeah. market, Riley, like things it's, it's hard for things to go down. And mm-hmm. now, and I was just thinking too, like if you go down towards like the end of the month, right. And you have like this quarterly rebalancing. And I was talking like about this before of like, I remember in college, I did this like BlackRock portfolio allocation where it's like 70% bonds or 30% bonds, 70% stocks or 80% stocks, 20% bonds. And like, you know, the reweighting and everything. I'm just like, Curious to see how this actually ends up flowing because you know, like you, you could check and see where on par they are for like valuations of like the average bond portfolio and the average like I guess across index stock portfolio. So that's going to be interesting because it's going to be a lot of action in the next like cute, like the rest of this week and next week a lot. So we'll see, but I, I don't think that they'll sell these China names for a while. And I think that especially knowing that I, just seeing the action, like seeing P- Pinduoduo just say, okay, we're going to start doing this. The risk is to the upside of them getting it done it's not to them like never getting it at all you know like it's a different risk to assess just thinking if you're short that name and it comes out boom we're in like the us we're completely solidified you're gonna get squeezed to shit absolutely squeezed so it's gonna be hard to just short those names and people will all you know kind of see that risk in my opinion because that, that easy trade of shorting those names is done for like china names in my opinion not to say it can't dip. It can definitely dip. It can dip quite a bit. But like the point is in three to six months, if these companies come in and they are all good with the US and they list and like, you can't say I won't invest in China because of delisting risks. Very different action in those names for the rest of the time. Yep. Avi indicator coming in real strong. You know, you guys remember you made me edit out when I said Putin, I thought I was going to invade. I think Taiwan in the fall, right around the election time, I'm making the call. Wow. All Making right. Call. Put it on so what, record. What, what happens if you're wrong? You, <laughs> oh, you owe me I'm orange wrong, chicken. <laughs> you, you, you owe me orange chicken for the rest of my life. Uh, we could do that because it won't last very long. Um, anyways, <laughs> speaking of invasions, let's talk nukes. Let's talk uranium. Only one that we could discuss this with is our resident uraniumologist, Luke Denae. Heard on your recap, you were talking about Boris Johnson and nukes. And if anyone's seen a picture of that guy, you never want to see Boris Johnson and nukes in the same sentence. Yeah. So, you know, throughout the past few weeks, nuclear energy has been the topic. As you said, you heard me talk about it on the recap of the day just a few days ago, actually. But really, since this whole Russia-Ukraine conflict started due to really the majority of Europe's reliance on specifically Russian oil for energy. A lot of the smartest people on planet Earth, governments have been saying, look, Europe needs to find different sources of energy. And then alongside that, you've had a lot of the clean energy activists come out and say, look, nuclear energy is actually a great source of energy, specifically if you want to make the globe even cleaner. So the focus has been nuclear energy. So how do we get to Boris Johnson? Well, Boris Johnson came out just all not too long ago, just a few days ago, actually, and said that the UK is going to be making bigger bets on nuclear power. He actually noted that he wants to get the UK to 25% 
electrical capacity from nuclear power. So in essence, he just wants to be producing 25% of the UK's electricity via nuclear, which is a pretty big move, actually. And a lot of investors have been betting on this. But I also want to talk about all the people coming in behind this and kind of what boiled up to this. You had Elon Musk writing on Twitter uh, literally last week, I believe it was, that in essence, nuclear is, quote, critical to national security. So he's now actually pushing for nuclear energy. You also had venture capitalist Mark Anderson. He is uh, calling for, quote, 1,000 new state-of-the-art nuclear power plants. So a lot of big-time, not only government officials, but also investors and the smartest people around are saying, look, nuclear energy is the move. And then you look at the investments behind this. So just last year, 2021, you look at what, for instance, venture investors are doing, and they actually pushed a record $3.4 billion into nuclear startups, which is more in one year than every other year throughout the past decade combined, which I think that's a huge note to focus on there. And not only that, but in the past decade, there has been fewer than 10 deals per year. And last year, there was 28. So in 2021, you had 28 deals. You had $3.4 billion in venture capital and moving into nuclear startups. Now we have governments, specifically Boris Johnson in the UK, pushing for nuclear. And you also have Elon Musk and Mark Anderson and so many others calling on nuclear, basically nuclear power to be um, really used much more, be pretty much bolstered, not only throughout the United States, but globally. Now, shifting into what this means when it comes to investments in the market, there's actually a few names that I think actually uh, our boy here, Mr. Riley McAdams, has talked about quite a bit. You have Helion Energy, which is a big time bet specifically when it comes to fusion. And that ticker symbol is URNM. So go check that out. But if you take a look at this company, Helion actually raised more than $570 million from investors, um, which includes YC president Sam Altman. It also includes Facebook co-founder Dustin Moskovitz and Thiel's Mint. Mithrith Capital. Um, so this is definitely an interesting name to take a look at. I don't know if Riley has a comment on Helion because I know he's actually done quite a bit of research on this. Uh, yeah, so Helion actually is not public, but uh, they uh, are looking to probably go public in the next two years. But on the other hand, they work on fusion. And right now, fission is the only thing that works. But fusion, if work, if it actually can work in the future, probably five to 10 years from now, uh, actually will be the number one source of energy. But in the meantime, fission is what everyone is going to be using for the foreseeable future. And in order for that to work, you need uranium. You need a special form of uranium. And so in order to basically have exposure to this basically massive shift to a new you know, renewable energy source, you have to be buying the ETF URNM or URA. Um, and so I have a position in URNM, but I mean, this is this is where you can kind of look towards the next 50 years in energy. If you're buying fossil fuels now, you might be able to make a, a decent buck for five, 10 years, whatever it might be. But if you're really looking for a long term position in energy, it's going to be uranium. It's not going to be a company. It's going to be uranium. And when Helion does go public eventually, then that could be a very good company to complement your uranium position. So basically, in order to have a good idea on, you know, basically just nuclear energy in general, you have to look up and actually understand both fusion and fission. 
But for me, I don't know, I find this very uh, fascinating, but, you know, I think that this will be the future of energy. And I think that this is another, you know, generational opportunity, just like I said, uh, China was last week. You know, I think that we're also looking at uranium to be a very, very good long-term opportunity. All right, Riley, we missed a lot of the earnings this week. Uh, we got Neo here tomorrow is the one I'm going to ask you about because you've been crushing it with China names. So what's your thoughts here on, on Neo? Yeah, well, I was talking about it a little bit earlier with China and, you know, these, these names now feel a lot more safe for the average investor. So I think that we're going into these earnings and people are going to be very, very bullish. And uh, I mean, with the oil prices rising, everyone knows that. And I think that we're going to see probably a big demand with the new cars, the ET5 and the ET7 for uh, Neo. They're, we're going to look for the pre-orders on that and potentially deliveries. I also want to see you know a European expansion getting uh, a little bit better than what it was. I think they're they're starting off a little slow, but I think that we could start to see a lot more deliveries over in Europe. Um, but no, I mean I'm looking forward to see what they can do here. The the CAGR of the revenue here is just phenomenal. So like 100, 180, 200% CAGR on the revenue, which is incredible. I mean, I think that this company is one of the most undervalued. And I think that everyone was looking at them saying, oh, they're going to be delisted, you know, two weeks ago. And now all of a sudden they're not going to be delisted. Everyone knows that. So I think a lot of people that were a little shy and didn't want to buy Neo, you know, the last year, two years, whatever it might be, you know, I think that they're going to be looking to take a position in this one and earnings might just be the, the catalyst to get people to, to throw some money at it. I've heard enough of Neo. I had that stock at $2 and sold it at like $4 and I'm kicking myself here. What did it get up to like 45 or something? 65, 65 actually, to be exact. Wow. All right. Now I'm really kicking myself. So we're going to have to end the show here. Tony, uh, why don't we wrap this thing up? I'm kicking myself here for Neo. Give us some thoughts here for the week ahead, as always. Yes, sir, Avi. Well, I definitely think the markets ran a ton. Um, I mean, you know, it's not one of those things where it's like easy to decide where it's going to go. Now I just know that this bidding was super strong. I will say though, it's like pretty clear that that double bottom level on ES, like that, you know, 4160, 4150 range, like that double bottom area. If you just go look on any chart for the S and P 500 or SPY or whatever, same with QQQ, all those bottoms are the definitive lows. Like if we break those, obviously it's going to get very, very, very bearish. But you know, the way that I'm thinking now is the Fed's doing stuff as long as things start to subside in terms of inflation and like hopefully Ukraine and Russia can quell their differences and China doesn't move on Taiwan and things can calm down a bit, then we could actually, you know, get out of this in a decent way in terms of like the Fed doing their tightening. Hopefully they just do passive QT. And then, you know, well, I think that the 2.5% target for raising rates may not necessarily need to be happening either as fast as they are saying or at all. So I think that they're also going to make sure to play it by year. They don't want a 2018 repeat after pretty much just raising right now to get us out of this 2018 repeat. So the way that I'm thinking of it is like, you know, what's running like on Monday, I saw cybersecurity rang at the end of the day, right? Like it's a very much so a follow price market. So I saw cyber running. Why? You know, it was just running and they were big buys. So it followed the money price rules, everything around me. And I think that's definitely the key. Things could definitely go up and down a lot. You can see volatility right now and every option is super high price. So that's why I've been doing spreads and doing, you know, shares and leaps versus just like weeklies at all. But uh, definitely play to your strengths in this market. And I'd like to say expect the unexpected because as Riley and I have been talking about, it's like what's usually happening is it's kind of like happening opposite. So 
I would say definitely kind of figure out the way that you're looking at the market. Like, are we in a bear where it's like every pop is being sold or every dip's being bought? And until whatever paradigm we're in right now changes, play that. And then once it changes, play that. So once again, just to remind you once more time, is that price rules everything around me. And next week, we'll be here to talk about some more. So see you guys later on Pounding the Table. One last thing. Just a quick reminder, marketmadness.co. Go fill out your brackets. It's entirely free. You can win stock twits money. They're giving away 10,000 plus many other prizes. So go fill out a bracket and continue to pound that table, folks. We'll be back next week.